0: Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Mark McGedd again to discuss all things fantasy football. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeah, cheers for cheers for the invite, Connor. I've been looking forward to this. I know
1: you've been trying to get me for a while, so I said we'll do it during an international break when I get a bit of a breather because that, that those couple of weeks before pre-season, first couple of weeks of the season are always very, very intense. So it's, it's good to be able to catch my breath now during an international break. I used to I used to dread international breaks like, like most fancy managers, but I look forward to them now.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that's something we'll touch upon throughout the show, but um, anyways, Mark, we're, we begin by asking everybody that comes on the podcast, I suppose, where did their football upbringing begin? And yourself is no different, so I'm curious, where did it all start?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I grew up in Donegal, uh, a small, small village called Glenties, which is a uh, a gaelic football stronghold so it was very you know as a, as a kid you know I was always soccer first gaelic second you know I, I was never as good as at the gaelic as, as some of my siblings were so but it was it was tricky because there was no real soccer clubs around you had to travel at least you know 30 40 minutes to get to get to a soccer club and I kind of missed out on that as a kid um but I was always always a big fan you know, I was always match the day from from a young age you know every saturday night whether it be you know recorded I, I remember having you know, video video recording tapes of of match of the day. I remember one in particular when when Solskjaer scored four goals against Nottingham Forest. So I was very much always watching, you know, the highlights. You know, never really had Sky Sports and stuff in the house at at a young age. So it was always just highlights and and maybe Champions League and stuff like that midweek. So that was where it began, really. Um, And I guess, you know, the the usual, you know, FIFA uh, with friends and then... In particular, championship manager kind of took over my life. Uh, me and a good friend of mine used to play religiously hours upon hours of championship manager and football manager. And I remember we used to go home at maybe first and second year of secondary school. We used to go home at lunchtime. You'd have that hour to get a, a bit of championship manager. I don't think there'd be any food eaten. Or at least it would be something you could you could eat while you're while you're playing. And, and we'd forget to go back to school sometimes because you just get engrossed in the game. So yeah, that's that's where it started for me, really, was all the, the football manager, championship manager games. And that's kind of what led on to the
0: fantasy then. And I suppose that's the perfect segue, Mark. Where exactly did fantasy football fit into all of this? Yeah. So again, thinking back,
1: um, you know, again, I've been playing for a very, very long time. I'm trying to pinpoint maybe the first time fantasy ever kind of came into my life. And I, I think it was actually World Cup 2002 when, when Ireland were there, uh, Korea and Japan, the famous Roy Keane sag. I remember my, my two uncles have a ball in done And I remember being in there before the tournament started and there was, there was these sheets of paper flying around uh, and it was some kind of a football game for the tournament. And it was basically a list of an A4 sheet of paper with a list of players and their prices. And you had to pick, I think it was five midfielders and five forwards for a budget, I don't know, 60 million or something for the World Cup in 2002. And someone said, Do you want to play? And that, that was it. So I was, I think I was 11 at the time. Um, so I, I was bitten by the fantasy bug at 11. So it's it's no wonder that I'm, you know, full time fantasy now. It was probably, probably meant to be, but I, I probably didn't see that until now when I look back. So yeah, that's how it started. I remember players like, Having players like Rocky Santa Cruz, Michael Balak for that tournament. Um, I know Matt Holland was in my team when he scored. I think it was against Cameroon in that game. So, yeah, that was that was that was the start of it. And then I think so that was 2002, and I think it was around 2002 2003 that the fantasy game, the official game as it is now, kind of came online. And it was it was a friend of mine who actually, you know, found it. The guy who who I used to play Championship Manager with, and he sent me on a link. Probably wasn't a link in those days. It was probably word of mouth. He says, "Check out this this website." And I remember we started from the very early days. We didn't know what
0: we were doing. We were very young, but um, we've been
1: playing it ever since.
0: And you know, 19 years later, fantasy football has become your career and so much more than your passion. You know, it's a lifestyle really for many people, including yourself. But I suppose, obviously, not back then, 2002. You could never have foreseen, you know, work, you know, having a career in fantasy football. But I suppose, were there any moments along the way where you start, where you begin to realize, you know, things are getting serious here. I can cultivate, you know, more than a passion out of this.
1: Yeah, it's probably, it's probably four or five years ago now, I remember. I think my Twitter account, I only set it up in 2015. You know, there was a lot of fancy accounts on Twitter before I even arrived. I, I remember there's a lot of big fantasy accounts now on Twitter, but I even remember when I joined, it was accounts that did have you know over fifty thousand followers, which was which was pretty big at the time. Um, and I was when I joined Twitter in twenty fifteen, it was off the back of my two best ever fantasy finishes, so it was two top five hundreds back to back. Uh, and I think I joined, I joined at the right time. And then people, you know, I, I put a few articles together. Uh, for for certain websites in the in preseason that year and it just blew up you know I had two or three thousand followers within days before the season started and then when I managed to have the third top 500 finish, that's when when things really started to click into place that's where you get people want to write for you wanting you to do guest podcasts and all that kind of stuff and um, so that was really where it took off and at the time in life I, I was kind of going around in circles I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I did a degree in business and management in DIT in Dublin for four years. And then my wife and I went to Abu Dhabi to teach for two years. So I was teaching maths to uh, you know six and seven year olds in, in Abu Dhabi. Then we moved to Scotland to do the postgrad and primary school teaching. Uh, so that's how we ended up here. So, I mean, I only did about two or three months of the teaching and I decided it wasn't for me and I quit. Uh, she continued, she's a, she's a fully qualified teacher now and, and she loves it, but it was just I just knew it wasn't for me uh, and that kind of put me at a, at a crossroads and I went down a few different paths in, in Scotland for, for a year or two, you know, different jobs, office jobs, retail management jobs and I was, I was never really, really happy in any of them and I never really lasted very long in them for that reason. But at the same time, the fantasy stuff was starting to kind of grow a little bit more on, on social media and I was doing a bit more work, you know, a bit more freelance stuff started doing a bit of social media management for a few, you know, fantasy Twitter accounts as well, and then it got to a point where as I said, you know what, I might just I might just go for this. Uh, I might take the plunge and see how it goes. Uh, people are obviously enjoying the podcast. There's lots of numbers out there. I could probably, you know, get a few of them on board as subscribers in some way. And I was lucky because at the time, uh, I didn't have a mortgage, didn't have kids. You know, living costs were, were really really low, so. And my wife was very supportive as well. She's like, you know what? You're not happy in all, in all these other jobs. Why don't you just go for it? And, and the worst thing, the worst case scenario, it doesn't work out and you can always go back and do something else. You know, you've got your degree there to fall back on. So that's kind of, you know, it was, it was it was scary to take the dive in and it, and it did take a while, you know, that first year or two of full time, it was slow. Uh, but thankfully now it's it's got to a level where it's, you know, hopefully sustainable uh, and it's going really well.
0: Testament to your own hard work, and I suppose the tremendous size of the football industry and growth of the industry over the past 20 years that someone like yourself can go in and cultivate a niche and make a career in the football industry I struggle to think of perhaps any other sports where that would have been possible obviously we've seen with American football we know fantasy football in the States is huge but apart from that I can't really envisage any other sport but I suppose market if we're Going to get into the particularities of fantasy football. I mean, you've regularly finished in the top 500 over the past 10 years. I suppose many people, you know, listen to this podcast would want to hear what exactly are the key principles behind building a successful fantasy football team. Yeah, I think the, the I think the most
1: important thing I always say to people who are new to the game is you've got to figure out what kind of manager you are. Uh, And that can take time, that can take a good year or two of playing the game to really, you know, experiment with stuff. For example, early transfers versus late transfers and and stuff like, you know, different approaches to captaincy and stuff. So I think it always comes down to your personality as well. You've got to kind of have a play style that matches your personality. Otherwise, you're going to have a bit of a conflict. Uh, You know, I'm a a very laid back person. Uh, I don't take too many risks in life. I know I took a risk going into fantasy, but that was one of the few ones. So that reflects my play style. You know, I'm very patient. You know, I don't take many you know point hits and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, it's you've got to figure out you know what kind of manager you are, and then you kind of evolve from there. Um, and it's it's common, you know, it's cliche, play your own game, but you know that is the most important thing because if you if you listen to loads of podcasts and you read loads of articles and that starts to influence your decisions, you know, you'll get away from 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 what you are as a manager,
0: and that's when things things tend to go wrong. And if we are to suggest, you know, fantasy football players are professionals, you know, you would have that traditional professional versus personal conflict in terms of you may be a United supporter and may want to fit in Bruno and Ronaldo into your team, but your head may dictate otherwise. I mean, have you refined any processes or systems over the years, Mark, to make sure you're not necessarily surviving game week by game week?
1: Yeah, and that was a good point you made about the the conflict when you're when you're a fan. Because I'm a Manchester United fan, and, and, uh, and that's one of the the most important aspects. If you want to do well at fantasy, you've got to you've got to put that to one side. You know, I very often have three Liverpool players in my in my team, and quite often over the years, actually, recently, since Sir Alex Ferguson left, there's no Manchester United players. Thankfully, that's changing now with with the likes of Ronaldo. And it's it's funny. I'm actually in conflict this week as we speak. You know, I'm, I've managed to get tickets for for Ronaldo's homecoming against against Newcastle. And it, it shouldn't be a factor in my decision-making, but it is. You know, I feel like I can't go to Old Trafford now and not own him. Uh, you know, the reason I'm going there is to see him. I've got Bruno on my team at the moment, so I need to decide, do I do I sell Bruno for a minus four to get the main man, Ronaldo, and make him captain? So it's uh, all those little things are... They, they can complicate things.
0: I suppose for those managers too, I mean, we're speaking about just one decision in particular. But we've seen a lot of people online on Twitter, you know, pre-season debating over how to get as so many, you know, high-scoring assets into their team. I'm talking about your Trent Alexander Arnolds, Bruno's, your Salas, Harry Kane, even now. I mean, question is, I suppose, how many of these high value assets could you possibly have in one team? Yeah, good question because I think we're at
1: a we're at a crossroads in FPL at the moment going into game week four. The common approach, I guess, has been you know, Trent is in most teams, and then you've probably got two big hitting attackers. You know, Salah and Bruno were the popular ones game week one. Now you've got Lukaku, you've got Kane, you've got Ronaldo. So people are trying to fit in three. Uh, I don't think you can fit in four of the the 10 million plus guys. Um, But I think what you know, I'm seeing it already this week. There's a lot of traditional managers like myself that, as soon as we see a team with Trent, plus three, let's say Ronaldo Lukaku Sala. It, it hurts our eyes. you know we're, we're naturally as as long-term players of the game, we think that's an unbalanced team. But I think then you've got to be open um, and you've got to, you've got to be flexible as an FPL manager even if you've been playing it for a long time and who's to say shoehorning these you know three of these big guys in won't actually be the way to play the game. so you know, I'm going to be wrestling with that myself. Um, So I still think, you know, if I was to wildcard this week, which I'm not doing, but if I was, I still think I'd be on my traditional, probably Trent would stay, Salah would stay. And then I'd have to decide between one of Ronaldo, Kane or Lukaku, because I much prefer, you know, a strong spread of 11, strong 11, rather than having, you know, let's say three, 12 million guys. And then you're going to have someone like a Liveramento or a, you know, a 4 million or 4.5 million midfielder in your team. But again, it's, this could be the season. Every FPL season is different. And this could be the season where people who shoehorn in Lukaku, Ronaldo, and Salah and Trent, maybe those will be the managers who come out on top. And that's that's the beauty of FPL. There's no right or way, wrong to wrong, right or wrong way to play it. And we'll only know that at the end of the season, which why it's one of the things that makes it such a such a good game and, and why so many people play it.
0: And I suppose, like if we're going to speak about traps or misconceptions when it comes to fantasy football. I mean, typically, you know, I haven't played the game for a long time, such as myself. I'm more inclined to pick. I was more inclined to pick players over the years once I see selected by 43.6% of the rest of the players. I mean, what would you say about something specific like that? It's almost akin to fear of missing out. For me at the moment, I'm just looking at my team and I'm looking at the matrix I had for the next few game weeks. I'm like, there's no way <laughs> I can afford not to have Ronaldo on my team when I say he's going to be selected by 40% of the other players. Yeah, that's
1: I think arguably the biggest challenge nowadays for fantasy managers is the the fear of missing out. And it's it's been you know it's been blown up by by social media. You know, most serious fantasy managers now probably do use things like Twitter or Reddit to, you know, to get their news, but while you're on there getting your news. You're seeing an awful lot of other stuff. In particular, you know, people posting their teams, people who you know posting their captains, and it's hard. It's really hard. Um, I am, I'm going back to that example of Ronaldo against Newcastle in game four. So, you know, it, my experience is telling me that I shouldn't sell Bruno for a minus four when he's playing against Newcastle. He's a very good captaincy option, but then I've definitely got the fear of missing out on a. Ronaldo hat-trick on his homecoming and you know in particular while I'm there if that happened it would probably take away a little bit from my enjoyment of the day so yeah fear of missing out when it comes to ownership it's something I've never I I never let it influence me I think it's it's impossible to say that I do that 100% because it's it's in your face all the time nowadays you've got you know people talking about effective ownership now so I I I hate effective ownership because before I knew what it was, I would cheer every single goal from one of my players. But now, if I've got, let's say, I've got Bruno, and I don't have him captain, sometimes if he scores, you know, my rank drops, even though I own him. So I would rather just not know that that was a thing because it does kind of it takes away a bit of the enjoyment of the game. It's it's very annoying that you can play a game and one of your picks scores and it actually goes against you. I guess maybe one of the flaws of the game. I'm not a big fan of captaincy, and that's you know that's that's why why that happens. But yeah, ownership again. Going back to your question, it's something I try as much as possible to avoid, um, and I I try to never let it come into my decision making. And again, the Ronaldo example. I don't know what his ownership is right now because I haven't looked at it. But but you can always guess what a player's ownership is anyway. I know it's going to be ridiculously high for game week four, even though he's only been in the game for. For two weeks um but again the decision won't be i won't be buying him because i'm afraid he's going to hurt me because of his ownership it's more you know it's i'm thinking about the points i think ronaldo is going to be a better option than bruno long term uh i also think we probably need to have a striker now over 10 million i don't have one so this is an opportunity to move to an expensive striker Ronaldo can be there for a couple of weeks, and then he can easily become Lukaku or Kane. So it's not it's not because of ownership or fear; it's because I think he's going to be a very good FPL option, and I like the the team structure as well with that with a big striker.
0: Now it's interesting when you talk about fear. There, it's almost akin to self sabotage as a football fan. You know, I hear so many fans these days hedging their bets necessarily. You know, betting against their club when they're going to games. <laughs> just you know, just in the event their team doesn't win or possibly draw. But for those players, Mark, you know, they haven't got off to a flying start and they're lingering down the table after only three game weeks. I mean, should they be looking at pulling the wildcard trigger as of yet? Yeah, well, I think if if you've had a bad start, the most important
1: thing to remember is it's it's game week. We've We've only just had game week three. You know, you've got, what, 35, 36 game weeks still to go. It's... It's very very early days, and and rank means very very little at the moment. Also, your mini league position means very very little because everyone's still very bunched together. You know, even if you've even if one of your rivals have got off to a good start, it's unlikely that they're going to be you know hundred points ahead of you. You know, it might be it might be fifty or sixty, but that's over the course of a season. That's a point or two a game week that you need to get back, which is very achievable. And um, so, the, the, my advice to people who've had a bad start is always uh, not to panic. Uh, and I think the wild card decision—it shouldn't be based on whether you've had a good start or a bad start. It should be based on how healthy or unhealthy your squad is looking. So if it's a bit of a mess, then yeah, wild card, absolutely. But if your squad's in good shape, uh, maybe the players haven't got you the point so far. But if your squad looks good on paper, um, you know, I do like waiting that little bit longer for the wild card just for for information because. We're, we're starting to read a few things into the season, but it's still quite dangerous to do so because three weeks is a tiny, tiny proportion of the season. It's a very small sample size and, and we know FPL, how quickly it can change in one week. So, you know, if you give your wildcard another two or three weeks, you've got, you know, double the amount of information and you can probably make much more, you know, better informed decisions. So, again, it comes down to wildcards, you come down to how your squad is, not what your rank is.
0: Okay, and then we touched briefly upon earlier on someone such as Liveramento at Southampton. You know, more than ever this season, budget enablers are going to be huge to free up cash elsewhere. I see you put up an interesting thread on Twitter the other day, Mark. Perhaps you could elaborate a bit more on some of the best budget enablers this season we could be looking at in defense, midfield, and attack.
1: Yeah. So, again, the traditional manager in me is saying, I don't want to have two. Four million defenders, but if we're going to fit all these big hitters in, and let's face it, the fun way to play FPL is to have as many of these big hitting players as as you as you can in your squad. So there is a lot. Libermento looks looks really good. Um, you know, I think he's got a good chance of keeping his place in the team because he's had a very good start in the season. He looks pretty good going forward as well. I know Southampton are are pretty poor defensively, but four million, you're not you're not asking for much, even if you get. You know you know three or four assists over the course of the season, you probably would be good value because be, I'm sure there will be the all clean sheet in there. You know we've got players like you know Brandon Williams has gone to Norwich now as well. Again, a team that are not going to keep many clean sheets, but again a good budget enabler. So I do like the idea of you you, you still want to have three good defenders. So you know for example you could have a Trent, a Shaw, and then maybe maybe a very good four point five or a five million defender, and they would be your staple three starters every week because these 4 million guys, you don't really want to have to play them too often. So you could have, you know, I am open to the idea of having two 4 million guys on the bench this season where I, I never really would be in the past, but I think we've got a few decent ones, uh, the two that I mentioned, and then that allows you to have that you know extra bit of cash elsewhere. Uh, and then in midfield, there's, there's a few emerging, you know, around the, the 5 million, the 5.5. You know, I still think Smith-Rowe could become an option. Now the fixtures are improving for Arsenal. I think he's dropped in price as well. Players like Emvuemo at Brentford looks good. Damari Gray has looked really good at Everton. I think he's only 5.5 or 5.6. And then up front, we're probably not really looking for too many budget because I think most people are still going to try and fit in three strikers. Uh, Antonio's going to be one. Then, you know, a big one, Ronaldo, Lukaku or Kane. But then, you know, if you maybe those who are going three, five, two or four, four, two. Um, you know a player like dennis at watford possibly again you never really want to go, going to want to use this guy you know you really want to try and keep these guys on the bench as much as possible so yeah there, there is options out there in particular i think um you know there's a couple of four million defenders and then those 5.5 million midfielders you know those are the, they're going to be the most important players this season if you can get those right then you can jump around you can use your transfers on the big guy so yeah we've got to try and get these cheap guys in who
0: hopefully we can keep all season and not, and not worry about them. Very interesting. You're describing it almost akin to managing a financial portfolio. And I suppose one interesting question, which I'm sure listeners of this podcast would love to hear is, I suppose, throughout your tenure doing fantasy football, Mark, have you noticed any trends perhaps as to occupations or people working in specific industries that do well in the game? Yeah, I'll just touch on the financial side
1: of it first. I've noticed over, maybe even over the last year or two, I find myself using a lot more lingo from the financial world. You know, I'll always use the word asset, um, you know, long-term investment versus short-term investment and stuff like that. So there's obviously a big crossover there. You know, I'm a manager who likes to, when, when I buy a player with my transfer, I, I I hope that that player will be in my team for the the whole season that's the way i approach transfers because i I like to make as few transfers as possible so i'm always looking to make a long-term investment when i buy a player Uh, and then in terms of occupations and stuff the only thing that comes to mind with that question is it's not really an occupation unless they're professionals but poker players seem to poker players seem to come across and and do very well uh, at fpl because i think there's obviously a big crossover there as well in particular, probably dealing with you know variance, bad luck, and stuff like that, they probably cope with it better than the everyday manager. And uh, they probably don't panic into decisions or, or early transfers or point sets and stuff like that. So yeah, there's there's that. In particular, I, I play a lot of um, daily fantasy games as well, which is you know just pick a team for one weekend and. You know, reading some articles about that or or tips and stuff. Very often, you, you see that you see the same names at the top of the leaderboard most weeks, even though there's so much variance involved. Um, and again, a lot of those guys tend to be ex poker players or, or current poker players. So there's there's definitely a big co- uh, crossover there. And we've seen it with with um, you know chess as well. Look at Magnus right, Carlsen, you know the world world champion. Um, obviously, a very strategy based game. I don't know anything about it, but. For anyone to be the world chess champion, and he was number one in FPL at one point out of seven or eight million people, you know, that that always reminds me that there's there's definitely skill involved in this game as well as luck.
0: Yeah, and I suppose, you know, as we begin the end of the conversation, Mark, you know, this is something that originated as your hobby, became a passion, and now it's your full-time career. But you know, we've heard of so many stories over Twitter over the past few years of people being just consumed twenty four seven by the game of fantasy football. I mean, is there anything in particular you do now to switch off, or have you any other hobbies or interests outside of deciding who's going to be your captain for the forthcoming weekend? If I'm being totally honest about it, I find it
1: very, very hard to switch off, um, and I'm just glad that it it is my income and it is my job because. Chances are, I think I would still be doing just as much of it if it was still a hobby. So it kind of justifies the obsession. Um, In terms of switching off, so I spend, you know, I usually spend Monday to Friday uh, working on FPL. Uh, But I think routine, I think like anything in life, if you've got a good routine and if you can master that and be, you know, be strict with yourself about that, that's the best way to be able to switch off. So, for example, you know, I'll take my wife to work in the morning, won't start work till 10 o'clock. pick her up at four half past four and and as soon as I go to pick her up laptops off try not to switch it on again for the evening obviously it's very hard because you've got your phone with you most of the time then at the weekends I switch off as well so I don't I don't watch very many games live at all because when it comes to the FPL deadline I'm usually sick to the sick to the teeth of FPL haven't spoke about it all week and haven't watched all the previous weekend's games so what I do usually is um Just record the games at the weekend and get out with my wife uh, and make the most of the weekend and then i'll watch them monday tuesday you know when she's at work just it allows for you know a better quality of life and i find if you watch games live as an fpl manager it's an emotional roller coaster and and i don't think i cope well with that myself i'll find myself getting annoyed during the game you know that will be i'll be on a high at certain points of the game if my players are doing well but I find when I watch the game live, I just focus on my players. Whereas if I watch the game after the fact, I know the score, I know who's got the points. I feel like I can watch it without with a clear picture, and I'm watching, you know, all 22 players rather than just uh, the two or 3 that they're in my my
0: FPL team. I hope that means you're not going to necessarily triple captain Ronaldo <laughs> before the don't, uh, to- don't don't tempt me, don't tempt me. I, I can't, I I can't rule it out. I can't rule it out. And I suppose to close, Merck, I mean, we've seen the tremendous growth of yourself and fantasy football within the past decade. I mean, right now you're a patron subscriber, you had you you host two, three different podcasts. You know, you have a fairly prominent role within the industry. But I suppose with money in the future, I mean, what are your plans going forward? Yeah, it's um I've been full time.
1: I think it's exactly three years now. Um You know, it feels like I've been doing it forever. You know, it's, I'm very lucky people, people always say to me, you know, it's, it's always quite hard to explain to people. I I just actually bumped into my neighbor yesterday for the first time and he he was asked me what I do. And it's, it's always very, very hard to explain, especially to, to a retired man in his seventies, you know, trying to explain what I do for a living. They kind of just look at you with, as if you have two heads, but I'm, yeah, in terms of, of the future, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I've put enough time and, and work into what, you know, my. You know, Twitter and stuff over the last few years. That hopefully now it will be sustainable for the foreseeable future. You know, it's it's my dream to to work in fantasy now for for the rest of my career, however long that is. On, until I until I win FPL, then I can just put my feet up and retire. Uh, in terms of fantasy as a whole, yeah, you know, I know you mentioned the last decade in terms of growth. I think even even last three or four years, it's it's absolutely crazy the the growth and how quickly season on season that more and more numbers get into. I think COVID actually did a lot for fantasy because, you know, for me, it actually was quite scary at the start when the football was, was canceled for a few months. It was a bit scary when it's your job. But what I find was when it came back, there was people who had never played fantasy before got into it because they're working from home. They're watching the games or people who maybe didn't take it as seriously before during covid that was their opportunity to to jump in and take it more seriously, because it was an escape from from everything that was going on outside. So I think COVID actually was good for FPL as a whole. I think it's got more people engaged. And I just, I I still think it's early days for fantasy in the UK. You mentioned America, obviously. I always think they're probably about 10, 10 years ahead of us in terms of fantasy sports. It's obviously absolutely huge over there you know, two- and three-hour TV shows, you know, Red Zone or whatever it's called on the weekends. I know my, my brother's into it. he watching that. So I would hope at some point in the future, you know, i seen Gary Lineker tweeting uh, the other day. You know, he mentions fancy football sometimes himself, but then he put a tweet out a couple of days ago, or a couple of weeks ago, um, having a go with people for posting their fancy football teams online. Um, but what I foresee, hopefully, in five to 10 years' time is, you know, there'll be a fancy analyst on Match of the Day with Gary Lineker or there'll be going to... A fancy analyst for for their views on the game because i think that's the way it's going you know so many people play it it's a huge part of people's lives and if it keeps growing the way it is you
0: know it's, it's only a matter of time before it's on mainstream television of course you can't rule out anything especially the match of today we all remember the past few years as soon as we saw that expected goals metric at the bottom of the screen exactly yeah none of us
1: was. none of us expected to see that so i mean if if that's a possibility surely there's a uh, uh, an opportunity there for a, for a fantasy segment of the show or at least a, a fantasy perspective from from one of the
0: from one of the guests i'm sure we all have reservations too when we heard danny murphy speaking about set piece coaches last week so <laughs> it's one exactly. to keep an eye out on for sure but merrick thanks very much for coming on but for all those listening who wish to engage with your content or hear a bit more about your own musings on fantasy football where's best to catch you
1: yeah, I'm most active on Twitter at FPL General, and I do a weekly podcast called the Athletic FPL Podcast. So you find that in all the usual podcast platforms. Fantastic! Thanks for coming on, Mark. Cheers for having me, Connor.